From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. I want you to grab a Bible. If you're in the house, grab a Bible. Um, if you're online, grab a Bible today because uh, today is going to be more teaching than it is probably preaching. I'm probably going to yell a little, little bit less than I usually do. Um, and we're coming to the end of Mark. We've been journeying through the book of Mark. We're coming to the end. There's a lot here that we're not going to be able to cover in the amount of weeks we've allotted for this. Uh, so I'm only going to look at a few things today, and I'm going to try to unpack, or a few things over the next few weeks, but I'm going to try to unpack uh, Mark chapter 13 with us and cram as much uh, as I can into the short time that we have. So Mark 13, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And let's begin with some prayer. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to open our hearts right now. We ask that as we look at your word, uh, that you would just speak to us, that you would bring clarity to your scriptures, that you would renew our minds today, you'd transform us, you'd draw us in a little bit more to what it means to follow after you. Lord Jesus, just as you spoke to the disciples, I pray you speak to us today. Every person, God, whether we're in the house right now or those that are watching online with us in their homes, I pray that your spirit would move in a way that is transformative. We give you the time we have, and we give you the word, the scripture. We give you our ears, our mind, our hearts. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we moved to uh, Corona a couple years ago, and what's crazy for me to think about is half of our time living in Corona has been spent in COVID, in a pandemic. Um, literally, our daughter, she's, she's two in a few months now. She'll be three in October, and half of her lifetime has been in COVID. But moving to Corona, before we moved here, we love Corona, we love the area, we love the water, especially in the spring, summertime, so I'm feeling a little bit more alive right now. But before we moved here, we were doing some research into the area, and we discovered that this area is known by another name. Did you know this? That there's another name that this area goes by, and it's not the most welcoming name, it's not the most appealing name, it's not the most inviting name, and if you don't know it, it's called Chemical Valley. Welcome to beautiful Corona, nestled right in Chemical Valley. And for us, that, you know, when we started researching, we're like, oh, what does that mean? And then as soon as we drove into the area, we saw all these factories and, and factories upon factories. You didn't know where really one starts and one ends. Our kids, we used to tell them they were Willy Wonka's chocolate factory because they're like, what are those things? And we're like, we don't know. There's chocolate. It's good. It's all exciting. And what they actually learned to do is when we would leave Corona, we'd go on a holiday or vacation or we'd visit family or we'd leave just the area and we'd be on a longer trip than usual. And when we would would return, they learned early on that those factories were a sign that we were coming to the end of our trip. It was kind of like an indicator for them that the end of our trip is near them. You know, kids, if you ever get kids in a car or if you remember being a child, it was always, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And for them, it was like, there's Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. We're almost home. And I'm, another thing I remember on early on living in this area is Monday would roll around and 1230 would hit and the siren would go off. I don't even know what the siren's called, but it sounds like something out of a post-apocalyptic dystopian wasteland. And I remember being like, what is that? And then I learned, as everyone does, that that's just the, the practice signal for in case there is an incident. An incident. And like everybody else, I feel like when, when that siren goes off any other time other than Monday at 1230, I probably should run. 
but I don't. And I just go, ah, it's probably just an incident somewhere. And I kind of just brush on with my life. But it's, it's, it is a warning sign. It is a, I feel like it should be a warning sign of impending doom, right? Like the siren's going off, run. But we don't, we just go, oh, there's the siren. And something similar kind of is happening, um, maybe less nonchalant in Mark 13, but the disciples are given warning signs to, uh, from Jesus And uh, Mark 13 deals a lot with the destruction of the temple and the end of times. And just me saying that for some might make you excited, for others might make you a little nervous. For some of us, we probably have no idea what that means. And for all of us, I just want you to journey with me because my intention is to end where Jesus ends in this section of scripture. And he gives uh, his hearers a very careful warning and that is to watch out. Watch out. Now, before we begin, I think I've said this over our journey with Mark because, you know, we've been spending more time probably studying and, di- and dissecting and, and unpacking uh, Mark like a teaching versus maybe preaching. Uh, but it's so important that we, we, that we look at the context of Scripture. Too often that we take Scripture and we interpret it without looking at the historical context, uh, what's happening in the time and the place, who, who Jesus ta- is talking to. And then when we do that, we can actually get things wrong. And we can build a theology that, it, that comes from misunderstanding. Um, we always need to approach Scripture with context, um, get to the meaning of the text before we respond to it. And so hopefully we're gonna do that a little bit today. Now, over the last little bit, if you've been journeying with us in the book of Mark, you've been following along for the last few weeks, Jesus has been in the temple and he's been teaching and the the religious leaders of the time have been challenging him and questioning him and he's pushing back and he's challenging them. Uh, If you remember a few weeks back when Jesus first entered the temple, he started clearing out merchants and those that were selling and setting up shop and and he had basically told them they'd turn the temple into something it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be a place of worship and prayer for all nations, but they'd turn it into this this merchant selling business uh, place and had to kind of pushed out those that were trying to seek God. But just before we read in Mark 13, Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment and you know, what's number one out of all of the 600 plus commands throughout scripture, what is the number one commandment? There's a scene right before this where Jesus praises a very poor widow who gives um, everything she has out of her lack, out of her poverty into the temple treasury and everyone else was giving out of their abundance. And then Mark 13 takes place. So Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple and the disciples start pointing out the building. They're like, take a look at this building, Jesus. Look at the the beautiful construction. Look how magnificent it was. And and what they're pointing to is the temple. They're pointing to the second temple. In this time, it was the second temple that was constructed. Herod had actually built upon, you know, expanded it. And it was said to be astonishing to look at. It was absolutely beautiful. And the disciples here are adoring it and they're trying to point it out to Jesus. And Jesus answers them, by saying this, he says in verse two, do you see all of these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now we read that and we probably don't think much about it. We probably move on. We're like, okay, great. Let's, let's continue in the story. But you have to ask yourself what would have been the response or the reaction to, to the Jews in that time. You have to imagine this would have been incredibly shocking for them because for the ancient Jew, the temple was the epicenter of faith. 
It was the place of God. It was the epicenter of religion. They sacrificed there. They worshiped there. When they weren't near there, they prayed toward its direction. This was everything for them. It, was, it represented God's presence on earth. And Jesus is saying every aspect of this temple that you see here is going to be completely and utterly destroyed. The whole thing is coming down because there is no longer a need for it. The thing you adore, the center of your religion, the place where you believe God is, is coming to an end. Now, we don't think it's a big deal because we know the rest of the story. But for them, um, this is everything. For them to, to hear Jesus say of the temple that not one stone would be left on the other, for them, this would be an end of time. For them, this would be an end of it all. For them, in their understanding, this would have been Jesus, the Messiah, ushering in his true reign on earth. It's this statement, one of this, or this statement is one of the things that actually Jesus gets accused for in his trial. When he's brought before the, the chief priests and he's arrested just before he's crucified, they accuse him of, of saying that he's gonna tear down the temple. This, this moment, it was everything. Uh, everything it represents was gonna be destroyed physically, not just symbolically. This is not just Jesus saying this, is, this idea is coming to end, but it's physically gonna be destroyed. Now, there was a time in salvation history when temples mattered. If you look throughout the Old Testament, before the temple was even constructed, constructed God's presence dwelt in what was called the tabernacle. It was kind of like a portable temple, basically, where the people would come and they'd worship, and they'd sacrifice. David, King David, wanted to build the temple, but then his son Solomon built a physical temple. So there was a time and place when temples mattered. There was a time and place when holy lands mattered. There was a time and place when, when people groups, if you remember that God called Abraham to build the nation of Israel through, but that time was all coming to an end. There was no longer a need for it. The temple had served a particular purpose in a place and time, but it was coming to an end. And Jesus had been talking about this for, for a bit now, if you've been following in Mark, but why? Why is it coming to an end? And, and we often think of because Jesus is going to usher in, what it, and it's true, what it means to actually follow God in spirit and truth. But, but more importantly for them, um, Israel had failed in their mission. Like this was God's judgment on the people of Israel because they had failed in their mission to be a light of all, to all nations, right? The temple was gonna be destroyed as God's judgment. A couple um, um, sections earlier in chapter 12, Jesus actually shares the judgment by illustrating through a, story, a parable called the parable of the tenants. And so in there, there's an owner and he owns a vineyard and he rents it out to some farmers. And when harvest time comes, he sends a servant to go collect what's, what's his, right? To collect the fruit from the harvest. And the farmers say, well, let's beat him and let's send him away. So they beat the servant and they send him away with nothing. So then the owner sends another servant and then the farmers beat him and send him away. So the owner sends another servant and then they kill that one. And so the owner says, I'll send my son because surely they'll listen to my son. And what do they do? They kill the son. And so the story in the parable Jesus tells, the owner goes and he kills the farmers and he takes the vineyard and he gives it to someone else. And this was, this was Jesus' way of illustrating that Israel had failed in their mission. They hadn't listened to the prophets. They're not even listened to the son. So God was gonna expand and go just beyond Israel and open up salvation to all people. So the destroying of the temple was God's judgment for the Israelites. And you gotta imagine, again, them hearing Jesus say these words, it would have been like mind-boggling for them to, to hear that the temple is going to be destroyed. Now, don't think that we won't escape judgment. 
Like we read about judgment in scripture and we read it kind of like nonchalantly sometimes, but there's a lot of scriptures that speak to that all of humanity will stand before one God, God one day and be judged. Call this the day of the Lord or the day of judgment. We will all stand before God and be held accountable for our life, our words, and our deeds. God is gonna open up a book and your whole life is gonna be uh, written in that book and you'll be held accountable to it all. Now, for those of us under Christ who have received forgiveness for our sins, all of our worthy deeds are rewarded and anything that's unworthy just basically gets burned away. And the scriptures actually say that there's some who just escape the flames. They just kind of get in, you know, by, by a hair, by a long shot. Now, for those of us that are not under Christ, we don't follow Christ, your book is gonna be open. But because you have not received Jesus, you are accountable for all of your sin. And God's going to judge you as well. And the second death awaits. And that is not a nice thing to say. But that's what the Bible tells us. That's why we preach Jesus, that there is something wrong with humanity. And it's called sin. We've sinned against God. And there needs to be reconciliation through Jesus' blood. That's why we believe and preach Jesus, because he came to forgive sin, to give us eternal life. It's all about heaven and hell. It's all about eternity. It's all about accountability for the sin in our life. So Jesus looks at his disciples who are adoring this, this beautiful temple, this magnificent building, and he's essentially saying, don't hold on to it because it's coming to an end. The old way of doing things are being done with. There's a new way in Jesus and the spirit. The God's way of connecting with humanity and the old way is passing away um, and a time is coming that he will connect in spirit and in truth. Now in typical disciple fashion, they ask, when's this gonna happen? Right? You just said the temple is gonna be destroyed. When is this gonna take place? They say, tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled. If we jump to Matthew, Matthew's gospel, they actually add on, and what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? So I actually wanna read Mark 13, and this is where I need you to follow along if you have a Bible. So grab a Bible. I'm reading from the NIV, so depending on what translation you're reading, it might be a little bit different. But I wanna read it, um, and there's 30 six verses that we need to go through. But I wanna give you some context because there's a lot of stuff here. So Jesus said to them this, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars or rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. There's a good key right there. Do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. Does this sound like history for you? You just look throughout history class, you listen to you know, any news now, that sounds a little bit about life. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the early church saw that. The early church saw that. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Wherever you, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out of it. 
Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be for those who are pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray this will not happen or will not take place in winter because those will be the day, because those day, because sorry, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, those chosen by God. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following the distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. If you remember a few weeks, we looked at a fig tree. Here it comes again. As soon as it twigs, get tender, and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Verse 32, but about that day or hour, no one knows. So this is like a transition in the text, okay? Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So there's a lot there in the text in Mark 13. And there's basically two ways, two um, interpretations to this text, two ways of looking at it, um, two popular views. The first is the modern evangelical view, which looks at this whole text uh, and sees it as the end times. Like this, everything in this text is about the end of the world. It points to uh, the second coming of Jesus. So the first coming of Jesus is when Jesus was born and grew and lived and taught and died and ascended into heaven. The second coming is when Jesus, the teaching when Jesus will return again and he'll usher in judgment. He'll usher in uh, the end of the world as we know, renewal of heaven and earth. Um, but most people, when they look at this view, and mod, their modern view, sees this as, as the second coming. They look at the wars and the rumors of wars, the disciples being arrested and brought to trial, brother be- betraying brother to death, abomination that causes desolation, false messiahs, the sun being darkened, moon not giving its light, all those kinds of things. And they say, we figured out the end times as all points to the future time. And some would even say that we're living in that. And I don't necessarily disagree. Um, This is a lot of us, if you grew up in an evangelical church, you likely have this point of view. Many of you have read the Left Behind books, that kind of, if you remember the Left Behind books back in the day, some of you will remember. Do you know, the problem with the Left Behind books is a lot of us base our theology off of them as opposed to actually going to the scripture. Don't get your theology from a secondhand book that it's a novel, Get get your theology from scripture. Um, this is what I grew up in, and we look at this and we say that Jesus is only speaking to us today, right? Um, but this only answers part of the question. 
That only answers part of the question the disciples are asked, and actually only the part um, that is answered in Matthew. Matthew, again, the disciples in there ask, when will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So that only answers part of the question. But the main question the disciples are asking is, when is the temple coming down? Now, the second view is, uh, is a different view, and they say that this has nothing to do with the end times, that this has nothing to do with Jesus' return, and this has everything to do with what happened in 70 AD. Now, 70 AD is a very important date. From 66 to 70 AD, the Jews actually rose up and revolted against the Roman Empire. So if you've been tracking with us, we've been talking about how the Jews are under oppressive rule and reign, and they have been for hundreds and hundreds of years. Nation after nation has ruled over them, and now it's the Romans. And they finally revolt in what was actually called historically the Great Jewish Revolt, and there was this in a crazy large war. And in 70 AD, the temple was physically destroyed by the Roman Empire, and to this day, it has not been Rebuilt. Now, scholars from this view read this text in Mark 13, and they point to that event. So that leads us with a question or an interpretation question. What do we believe? What do we follow? What, where should we land? How should we read this? And I think, emphasis on the think, that is a bit of both. I think that the bulk of what Jesus is actually referring to here is pointing to a future event for the disciples who are hearing this in a past event for us, and most scholars would say that. For them, this is future times. For us, this is past times. But I also think that Jesus is pointing to another future event that will take place at his second coming. I need you to stick with me because I'm gonna talk a little bit about that closer to the end, the, the two-in-one kind of prophecy. See, the disciples, you gotta understand, they wouldn't have and they don't have a concept of the second coming. For them, they, they still haven't even wrapped their head around the fact that Jesus is about to be betrayed and arrested and tried and put to death and then would rise again. They, they don't even have framework for that, never mind a second coming. They don't have any of that. So most of what Jesus is describing here answers their question and what happens in actually 70 AD. So when we look at 70 AD um, and we look at the events there and we look at this text, we say there's a lot of weird things that are mentioned in this text. Did those actually happen in 70 AD or did those happen in their lifetime? And so you look at the things like when he says you'll hear wars and rumors of wars, that happened throughout their lifetime. A nation will rise against nation. That happened in their lifetime. Earthquakes, famines, those happened. The, the early church, a lot of them was, were dragged off before governors. Paul was dragged off before uh, Caesar and they were held to account. They were put on, on trial. Um, brother betrays brother. We see all those things. But what about this abomination that causes desolation? Uh, so if you go back into Daniel, who's a prophet in the Old Testament, I told you I'm doing more teaching today. The prophet in the Old Testament during the exile, he actually talked about the abomination that, uh, that causes desolation in Daniel chapter nine, that this person would essentially come and do this sacrilegious, unholy thing in the temple. Now between the prophecy of Daniel and the New Testament, when this is being taught in 186 BC, there was a Greek king who came and invaded Jerusalem and went into the temple and set up, uh, erected a, a, um, uh, the statue of the god Zeus and sacrificed pigs on the altar in the temple. And many of the Jews looked to that event in 160, 186 BC as the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy because it was an abomination to them. It was an abomination. So Jesus kind of picks up on that history and he picks up on the language in Daniel, but he points to something else because in 70 AD, the Roman general actually stormed into the temple. 
He took out artifacts, he, he took out the lampstand, and he burnt the temple to the ground. It was an abomination, an abomination that causes desolation. Um, that's why Jesus says, when you see these things happen, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea to flee, he's saying run. When you see this happen, run to the mountains. Don't go home, don't get your stuff, don't grab your cloak. If you're on the rooftop, just, just go down the stairs because they often had stairs off the side that led to the rooftop. Go down the stairs, you're in the field, don't go back, just run to the mountains because during the, the war of 70 AD, it was actually an awful time for the Jews. Um, one commentator said that Romans actually cut babies out of women's stomachs, that the Jews starved. Some of them ate their own children, right? Their family, they ate one another. A hundred thousand were enslaved. Many were forced to become gladiators and the temple was burned to the ground. So most scholars look at this and they say that the abomination was fulfilled in the Jewish war. Is it also something else? It could be. Then there's these other things, weird things that happen. And, and the question is, did they happen? Like verse 24, it says, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall. Well, that never actually happened in 70 AD, right? The sun wasn't darkened and the moon didn't give its light and stars didn't fall from the sky. That didn't happen. Well, and to say that is to misunderstand how a first century Jew would read this statement, okay? There is a genre of literature known as apocalyptic literature. It's a way of talking about historical events using metaphorical and symbolic language to describe history and to describe theological pictures. Now, some of the Old Testament prophecies that you see in Daniel and Ezekiel, they use apocalyptic language. When you look at the book of Revelations, that's apocalyptic literature. That's why you see beasts and dragons and scrolls and, and the white rider and these kinds of things represent something, but they're not meant to be taken literal. That's why when we read Revelations, we don't think there's an act dragon, right? It's symbolic for something. Now, I read that some teachers of theology, before they teach the book of Revelation to their students, they'll actually have them read non-biblical apocalyptic literature, hundreds and hundreds of pages, because it has all these images, these stock images for it, so that when they read the book of Revelation, they have all those images there, and they read it almost like a fantasy novel, not literal Things. Now, we do that when we read a lot of Revelation. We say, well, that is not, there's not going to be a beast with 10 horns. You know, that it's symbolic. We look at Daniel and we know that a lot of the, the things that are spoken of in Daniel were about nations, but we don't do that all the time. We do that sometimes, but we don't do that all the time. So, for a person, a, dis, a, a disciple, a Jew, hearing Jesus say these words, they wouldn't actually believe that the stars are going to fall from the sky. What they would actually believe is something big is gonna come, that it was going to be an end of an era or an end of, of, of the age. Now, listen, I'm not saying, you need to hear me. If you're in-house, you're online, I'm not saying that, that these things won't happen. What I am saying is that for them, they looked at it differently, okay? There's kids outside running. Um, that at that time when the temple would be destroyed and what not, one stone would not be left on the other, a new age for them was coming. When they hear that, they're thinking that uh, the end of something and the beginning of something. So it's apocalyptic language. It's not meant to be understand, understood literally, but symbolically. So when Jesus says that the Son of Man will come coming on the clouds with great power, if that was literal, we wouldn't all see it. Because I don't know about you, but my eyes can't see every part of the sky. I saw an image on, online today of the Northern Lights, and if I could see every part of the sky, I'd be looking up at the Northern Lights almost every day, right? 
But I don't see every part of the sky, I can only see corona. But if it was literally to come in that kind of image and that kind of picture, we wouldn't all see it. Now this is again taken from Daniel, lots taken from Daniel, right? Daniel speaks of the son of man coming um, with clouds, the anointed one, the Messiah, um, coming with the clouds of heaven. But in that story, he's not coming down. The son of man is actually going up. He's going up to the father. He receives all authority. He receives glory. He receives sovereign power. And it's an enthronement image. Now, when did Jesus receive all authority? Anybody? At the cross and resurrection. When he defeated death, Jesus received all authority. That's why Matthew 28, afterwards he went to his disciples just before he ascended to heaven. He says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go, right? It's an enthronement um, image that the, the end of one age is coming and the dawn of a new age was coming, the birth of something greater. The, that's why the birth pains are the beginning of something great. What happens after birth pains and after labor? New life is born, right? It's the dawn of a new age, the age of Jesus, the church, grace, forgiveness, power, and authority through love. So this is mainly pointing towards something that will be a future event for them, but for a past, a past event for us. And that's why Jesus can say, this generation will certainly not pass away till all these things have happened. Because literally a lot of these things happen in that generation. Did they happen the exact same way, literally? No, because a lot of it's apocalyptic literature. So the question remains, is that the end of it all? And I'm gonna say no, because there's a shift that, that takes place in the text. In verse 32, and many commentators agree, it says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Because here's how prophecy works. Prophecy often has double meaning. Right, there's multiple layers to it. Often you gotta think of it like mountain ranges. I don't know if you've ever traveled out, out west and seen the mountains out in, in BC. They're absolutely beautiful. Like you're driving through them and it's just, I don't know if you're like me, I'm just, I can't help but think of God's grandeur. Like it's just absolutely magnificent. Well, you gotta think of prophecy like mountain ranges because when you look at mountain ranges really far away, all the peaks appear to be in the same distance. But as you get closer and closer, all of a sudden you see that one mountain is significantly closer and the other ones are maybe miles and miles away. So it's almost like prophecies are kind of like that. Like in this text, this can have a 70 AD meaning for them and it did, we see that in history, uh, but there's something more. And I think um, a lot of it is that there's gonna be a tribulation, um, not just for that takes place in that time, but that's gonna be a part of the Christian life. There's a tribulation in the new era because this was the sign, the end of, an, of the way God connected with people in that time with the temple and the beginning of a new way that God was gonna be working. It was the beginning of birth pains. So that's why there's gonna be false prophets and we've seen false prophets for centuries. That's why Christians are, will be hated, not just in their time, not just in the end time, but throughout time. And we see that. That's why a lot are arrested and brought to trial and not just like, we often maybe not see that in our culture and it's astonishing to us when we do, we get like, I can't believe that's happening and a pastor is arrested, but that happens in the world. Christians are persecuted for faith. False messiahs will appear and perform false miracles because just so you know, the enemy has ability and power. It's not as much as God's, but he can do things. Since the birth of the church, since the destruction of the temple, we have been in the midst of the end of days. That's why there's always been wars and rumors of wars, tribulations against Christians, because it's all pointing to the end event of Jesus' return. Now, many of us say 
that the, we're in the end, right? We say that the end is near. Believers have been saying this for centuries. I remember um, in this last decade, a, a man by the name of Harold Camping uh, went around saying, May tw- you know, 2011 is gonna be the day. You remember that? And he set up billboards. He put bill- I remember seeing billboards in Windsor as I was driving, right? And then he changed it when May didn't happen when it was in October. If you go on online, I just went on Wikipedia, there are 205 different p- predictions of the, of the end time event, of Jesus' second coming. We're in the end. I believe it. We are in the end, but we've been in the end since this day. That's what I believe. I believe we've been in the end since this day, but there will be an ultimate end, Jesus is saying. He says, but about the day or hour, no one knows. About the day. The day in scripture is always the day of judgment. It's always the day of the Lord. It's a shift in the thought process. He's basically saying, here's the answer to your question, but there's something else. Here's here's when this is gonna all take place, but there's more to this than just this, right? There's a shift in it all. He says, it's like a man going away and gives his servants each a task. He says, watch out, do your job because you don't know when the owner's coming back. Saying, follower of Jesus, watch out, be aware, do what you've been assigned to do because you don't know when Jesus is gonna return and you don't want him to find you sleeping on the job. You know, too many times we're so focused on deciphering the prophecies. You know, what does this mean? And when is that coming? And when is that happening? And, and there's books about it. And, and, and there's more to, to end times theology than what we're just talking about today. But too often we're focused on that. And Jesus is saying, listen, nobody knows. I don't even know. Only the Father knows. So stop thinking about that and do the task that has been assigned to you. Here, I'm yelling now. Forget about trying to decipher when it's gonna happen. Just do what I've called you to do. Watch out, be faithful, because nobody knows. Listen, we were not called to be bystanders in faith. That's, that's Western faith, just so you know. North American faith is I go to church, I read my Bible, I give some tithes, and then I do my life the way I wanna do. That's not what the scripture calls us to do. We can't be bystanders, we've been given a task. We've been given a job, we've been given a role. Watch out. Like if this is true, if, if we have been living in the end of days since this time, since Jesus talks, since his death, resurrection, since the destruction of the temple, if we've been living on that and there is an end time event where Jesus is coming back, don't you think we should be a little bit more alarmed? It can happen suddenly. Don't you think we should care a little bit about more about the faith of other people and the lack of faith? Don't you think we should invest a little bit more time in prayer and discipleship? Because I don't know about you, I don't want, to, I don't want to, him to come back and return and him to find me just standing there going like, well, I went to church. That's not the assigned task. The assigned task is not go to church. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, what was the assigned task? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not go and sit in church service on a Sunday morning and sing some songs and then go have a meal at Swiss Chalet and then go to work nine to five and then do it all again. It was make disciples. It was follow after me. It was be an apprentice. Do what I do. Reach the unreachable. Love the unlovable. Heal the hurt. Teach my way. Make more disciples. No one knows the end. No one knows the end. And you know, I think part of the beauty of life is not knowing. Because then we can live each day to the full. The problem is sometimes we live as if we have tomorrow. 
Like your tomorrow's not guaranteed. And that's not because you, you're sick, it's because you're human. When we live in this world, and we live in a world where accidents can happen, we live in a world where Jesus could return at any time. He says this, says this in verse uh, 34, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. You know, when we talk about the end of Jesus and the end of times, we should be talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We should be talking about discipleship. So what does Jesus say about the end? What does he say about the end of time? He says, do the task assigned to you. And if we look throughout this text, it's be faithful. Do not be deceived. Do not be led astray by false messiahs and prophets. When you see these kinds of things, immorality, abominations that cause desolation, flee from it. Don't run towards them. Flee from them. Pray. So what should be our response? And I want to close with this. What should be our response to this text? It's this, it's be mindful that we are living in the era of the end of days. We have been since this day. It's watch out and be on your guard and do your task and don't be caught, caught sleeping. So what, what does that mean? I imagine a lot of people are like, well, what's my task? I'll say a few things. I'll say number one, it's to follow after Jesus and not just do the church thing, but be a disciple, be apprentice, learn his ways and emulate his ways, do his ways, put them into practice. Let's follow after Jesus. It's serve him by serving people and serving the church, right? It's going and making more disciples. Serve Jesus, follow Jesus, serve Jesus, and live like Jesus. It's using your gifts and talents and abilities for God. That's your assigned task. And the same warning, and I'm gonna close here and pray, the same warning that he gives them, he gives to everybody. Right at the end, it ends with 37. It says, what I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch out. You need to watch, church. You need to watch and not just say, hey, we're living in the end and, and the end is near because the end's been near for a long time. And the, the surprising thing about that is if it's been happening since 70 AD for 2,000 years, we've been in the end, it literally could be sudden because the birth pain's been happening for a while. Right? And that's just signs of the end. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word today. Thank you for Mark 13. I thank you for your scripture, Lord. Thank you that you taught not only in that time, but we can learn today. You say that all your word is profitable and useful for training and teaching, Lord, and what it means to follow after you. So I pray today, God, that we would learn that as disciples, we don't just look and point to future events, but we live now with the task that's been assigned to us. We live, God, with that knowledge that you could return suddenly. We live with, with God, the, the, the knowledge that you've given us roles and, and things to do as we're on this life, and we should not be caught, been caught sleeping when you return. So I pray that you'd encourage everyone to know, Father God, that you are coming back. I pray you would encourage everyone to know, God, that you can come and you coming suddenly. And I pray you challenge us, God, to, to do the things you've called us to do, to follow after you, to make more disciples, to not live like life for ourselves, but to live for you because that's what you call us to. Well, we bless you. We love you. I know there's, there's some within the sound of my voice today, whether in the room or God or, or 
online somewhere, Lord, that are hurting and broken this time, would you minister as only you can, Lord? Lord, we pray as your scripture, even in Mark 13, calls us to pray, God, Lord, for those that are struggling right now, Father God. And let us be the church. Put people on our minds that we can pray for, that we can reach out to, God, that we can share in our resources with in the name of Jesus, Lord. Maybe someone's gonna pop in our mind today, God. I pray that we'd pick up the phone, we'd give that call, we'd drive by and, and drop by, socially distant, Father God, just loving on people, Father God, doing the things you've called us to do, going in the name of Jesus. Lord, this is all for your glory. We bless you, we love you, and we pray this in your name. And everybody said Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.